listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Good evening. It's awesome to be with y'all here tonight. I got to know Liz and her husband David a little better. Uh, we did prayer sets last season in the fall, and it was just a pleasure to be with them and know their hearts. Precious people. I got uh, asked to speak at this pulpit in December on the 16th for the first time last year, and I guess it was acceptable because <laughs> I got invited back. Woohoo! So I'm excited about that. Um, tonight, I was raised in Israel, um, not born there, but, uh, and my, my dad reminded me last week, he goes, You didn't get there on your own, <laughs> which was. Kind of funny. But uh, I was raised there from about age 5 to 18. Um, I'd like to just uh, have my parents stand. I'd like to honor them. Go ahead and stand up. These are my folks. They were missionaries in Israel for about 14 years. Uh, They began to travel back and forth to Israel in the mid-70s. My father and mother pastored a church in Jerusalem for nine years. They traveled from there to the nations, uh, worked with Jews, Arabs, internationals, and uh, God used them mightily in the land. They've always had a call and a connection. Uh, my dad always said he was called to be a watchman for the house of Israel. Um, they laid down their lives there. They, there, were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of prayer in that time frame. Um, most of the work of missions work from the time that Israel was formed was done by Gentile believers. And they laid the groundwork in prayer and relationship. Uh, there wasn't a lot of direct evangelism Uh, in part because of the language barrier, also because of some laws, uh, and a lot of pressure for the government and the ultra-Orthodox. If y'all don't know what ultra-Orthodox is, we call them chassidim, which are the guys with the black coats and black tats and little uh, peyot, you know, little side curls. They're very, very religious, (laughs) and they get very aggressive when the name of Yeshua is shared, so that's kind of an interesting thing. Tonight, uh, as I was praying and just seeking the Lord, Jeremy had mentioned, hey, I'd love to hear you know, more about Israel. I'd love for you to just you know, kind of impress upon the people. And as some of you know, Mike Miller and the Dallas campus, there, there's been awakening over the last, I would say, couple of years to Israel. The Jewish people were involved. We were involved in a, in a huge purchase, joint purchase uh, in Jerusalem of a property that's going to have a multifunction use. I'm talking this is a million, you know, multi-million dollar purchase. So there's been an awakening at Upper Room Dallas, and I just want to kind of piggyback on that and also impress upon y'all the importance of God's covenants with a land and a people. Because that's a business he's in, right? You're here tonight because he made a covenant with you through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Um, Tonight, I especially want to focus on the land. There is a tangible land. Many of the places we read about in this book have continuously existed throughout history and you can visit them today. And I had the pleasure as a young man of, I I told the prayer prayer, uh, and leadership uh, earlier, I had the, the pleasure of partying in a lot of those places, which meant as a child, I just ran wild in the holiest of holy sites, okay? And that's just because we were rowdy, me and my two brothers. So it is a place dear to my heart, 
But I've let that somewhat become dormant over the years because I don't live there. The last time I visited was 2019 with my brother who hadn't been back in 23 years. And we had a delightful time. We actually visited one of the sites we're going to talk about tonight. The reason I want to talk about the land and in praying and seeking the Lord is because he wants to draw us in. He wants to draw you in. Draw you in to the divine romance that he has with the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And there's a tangible, physical element of the land, the cities, the sites that can capture your heart. And anyone standing up here before you, they're here for the equipping of the saints, right? So, so that's what his heart ministered to my heart, and I'm just going to release it onto you. You receive it? So let's just pray and ask the Lord to give us open minds and open hearts to receive the seeds and receive the invitation to romance, amen? To romance with him, to, to laugh, to pray, to dance over his people and over his land, amen? God, I just thank you tonight that you will grab this tongue, this body, these mannerisms, Lord, and you will deliver your heart through me. And I pray that the people here tonight would have open ears, loose their ears and their minds so you can penetrate to their heart and capture their heart so that they can look upon the Jewish people and the physical land of Israel and have the same love affair that you have with them. Amen. So we're going to run, okay? Y'all ready to run with me? We're going to talk about three characters in the Bible that are very prominent characters in regards to covenant and promises. I love the nature of God. I love talking about the nature of God. I love researching about the nature of God. I love studying the nature of God, the nuances of God, how he deals with his people, what are the, the in-between-the-lines, the, the ends of little scriptures, the things, the intangibles, the word meanings? Because it helps my being absorb and carry more of who he is. It helps me look more like Jesus to understand what's important to him, what's not important to him. Amen? So I, I, I love, I love, maybe because I grew up in Israel, I have an affinity for the Old Testament. There really is just, it's one through and through. I mean, I had a friend recently said, I'd just like to take the page that says old and new and just pull it apart. Like pull that page out of the Bible where there's a difference because it's a flow, it's a stream. It's a stream. I always tell people God's grace was revealed in the Old Testament as well. It's the grace of God that says, I will give you the law and make a way for you to be right with me through sacrifice. That's grace. Don't miss that. That's grace. So I love the Old Testament, and then it ushers in to Christ in the New Testament, which is the ultimate lens. It's the ultimate lens with which how to see and understand God. Amen? We're going to look at Abraham, his land covenant. We're going to look at David, his kingdom covenant. And then look at Jesus who combined and solidified the two and made them one and ultimately brings both of them in, onto the earth and then into eternity through his death, resurrection, through his life, death, resurrection, and then his second coming. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, we, we, we are gonna, we're going to do some scripture. 
Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. And then we're going to look at Genesis 15, 18 through 21. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, uh, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And my wife always says, you got to add mosquito bites. So I told her I'd add that. When God makes these covenants and makes these promises, he's got a sense of humor. <laughs> I mean, he really does. And when you get promises and covenants in your life, you better be open to his sense of humor because if not, you're just going to do a lot of weeping. <laughs> a lot of weeping. Because if you look through the lens of your eyes, these eyes, you'll see only disappointment, discouragement. But if you will look through the eyes of your heart that he gives you by the spirit man and you see him according to the spirit and his promises and covenant according to the spirit, you'll delight in the process. So at 45 years old, after many, many years, I think, and I'll probably have to revolution to it again, but he's brought me to a place where I can be at rest with his promises. I'm at rest with his promises and I'm okay with the process. I'm a, I'm a small business owner. Um, I have a backflow testing business. Me and my crew, we drive all around Dallas, Fort Worth. We test water valves. For many years, for 12 years, I sprayed bathtubs and countertops in apartments and homes, and I did what's called refinishing. You wear a respirator, you wear paint suits, you wear gloves. I have a college degree from Oral Roberts University. That's where I went after uh, I graduated from Hebrew High School in Jerusalem. And as a college graduate, and then being a blue collar worker for 12 years, I cannot tell you how many bathtubs I've sanded, stripped, and refinished. It's thousands. How many sets of cabinets I personally have sprayed all around the DFW area. You talk about a Joseph grinding it out, learning about the Lord, sanding a bathtub on my knees with a respirator on, it's hot, it's nasty, maybe the unit doesn't have air conditioning, and asking God, why am I here? Why is this where you have me? Some of it is choice, but he incorporates your choices into his magnificent plan. I would sand those bathtubs and I would learn about the Lord. Do I do it right? Do I cut corners? What's today going to be like each and every time? And then he, after those many years, which I'm not going to lie, it probably could have been accelerated, but I'm stubborn. I grew up in the Middle East. I can't, I, can't, I can't apologize too much from that because Semitic cultures, they have a forehead like Flint, okay? We will just hit our wall against something over and over again. But he revolutioned me. I remember praying and asking, Lord, I need to level up. Like, I need more. I have four kids. And seven years ago, he brought a man into my home and my income doubled in a year and a half into this new business that I now run called backflow testing. Is that it? Go ahead, give him, a, it's not me, give him a hand clap. And here was the crazy part of it. For a few years before that, 
I had been applying for an FBI job as a linguist because I have the Hebrew skills. I met all of the requirements, took exhaustive testing, did crazy background checks, physical uh, lie detector tests, two of them that are very personal and you don't even want to know the questions that they're asking. Traveling around the country, these guys sent people, spent thousands of dollars interviewing old classmates, college uh, roommates, employees. And then in 2015, I get a letter from the government that says, congratulations, you received your top secret security clearance. You've passed all the linguistic tests at a professional level. Unfortunately, due to budgetary constraints in the federal government, we're no longer hiring for that position. And I thought that position was gonna be the be all change all life in my life. I really did. The hourly rate was great. If you served a year and you did well, they would make you a federal employee. Who knows if that's a cush gig with the benefits and everything, right? You know, a little job security and tenure, et cetera. But as soon as that door closed, a month or two later, I went out with this backflow guy and we struck a relationship. And in a year and a half from then, I doubled my income. My point is this, this guy was coming to a small group, part of a, a, a house church association that I was involved with. And God said, Israel, you search out that FBI job, you looked and you worked so hard, but when I do something, I will bring the man to sit right here in your living room that has the keys of David to unlock a door you couldn't open. And that's how he works. So again, his covenant and promises, you better be open to a sense of humor. Amen? So Genesis, we did that one. Here's what I want to do. I I, want to just tell you that a few scriptures before when God's saying, after he says, I'm going to give this land, He goes, oh, by the way, your people are going to suffer. They're going to be taken for 400 years into a land that's not their own. And they're going to be punished until the time and the fullness of the sin of the Amorites comes. And then I'll release them. But when they're released, they'll have great possessions. That's a sense of humor right there, right? On one hand, I'm giving you a promise that this land is going to be yours. Don't forget the Hittites. But on the other hand, by the way, you're going to go through a crushing process because I got to get out of you what I want out of you in order to make you a vessel of honor. Can we do video one? Uh, I I just want to tell you these videos are because there's physical, I'm going to go back to it, there's physical elements of the land that God wants to draw you into. Okay, Abraham was buried in a place where he bought a field a cave from Ephron the, say it loud, the guy whose land he was promised, right? But he didn't have a problem buying a plot of land from a man that owned land that God was promised to him and buried Sarah there. And who else was buried there? Isaac and Jacob and their families, right? So I just want you to see, this is a place I visited. Now it's a, it's a very hot place in Hebron, Hebron, but it's a place I visited. That site has been made into a holy site and the burial plots are probably deep underground because if you know anything about archeology, span it's levels, right? It's levels. Are you with me? He starts at a foundation, it's destroyed, then something else is built and then something else is built, but deep 
at the bottom of that land that Abraham eventually received through his descendants. His bones were sanctifying that land. His bones were sanctifying that land. So I just, I'm gonna, we're gonna run three clips if we can get through them all. So this is a clip of the tomb of the patriarchs. The content is the point, the visual is the point, okay? Does that whet your appetites a little bit? I mean, just, just knowing that like, you know, obviously they're long uh, decomposed now, but just knowing that those bones were in a physical place where God made a covenant with Abraham about the land. I mean, that's exciting to me. Like, and, and for me, the fact that I've been there is just, it's awesome, you know? Now at the time, I was young. I didn't have context. But years later, looking back, I realized how special it is. Um, let's, let's continue to run. We're going to move right into David, okay? So if you have your Bibles, 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16. We'll just do a little bit about the Davidic covenant, and then I want to go to another physical location that you can grab hold of with your hearts, okay? <clears throat> All right, it reads, the Lord declares to you, and this is, I think, Nathan talking to him, uh, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build my house for my name, talking about Solomon, and I will establish his throne and his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. How is this throne established forever? It's established through Christ, right? And then let's go to the physical place, uh, and, and we're going we're gonna to look at a physical place called En Gedi, okay? The eye of the kid or the eye of the goat, and you'll understand why in a few minutes. 1 Samuel 23, 26. Excellent, Okay. Saul was going along the side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other side hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul and said, come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of, the land of David and went to meet the Philistines. This is why they call the place Selah Hamalekoth. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. A few scriptures above this, David and his men, his men are complaining, and his men are saying, hey, you know, we got to be careful, Saul's after us, and the Philistines begin to raid and attack in the lands of Saul, and David inquires of the Lord, should I go help Saul? He's still worried about this man. Remember the sense of humor? David is anointed king, and then the king that's in existence and reigning chases him all around the nation. It's a game of cat and mouse, but in this game, people get killed. They lose their lives. So I got a promise, but you're going to be crushed running around the Judean desert fleeing from the king, right? That's what's going to happen to you so that I can get out of you what I need in order to put in you what I want and make you a vessel of honor. So he inquires of the Lord and the Lord tells him, yeah, uh, go to that city and I'm going to give the Philistine in your hands. So he goes and he, it, the Bible says he slaught, they slaughtered many, right? So he inquires of the Lord and they get stuck in a city where his men are fearful that they're trapped. And then who does the Lord use when Saul's closing in to get 
Saul to move off of, of the chase, he uses the Philistines. Boy, if you don't know, he'll use your enemies. If, your job, if you don't know that your jobs will wreck you, your relationships will wreck you, the church will wreck you, and it'll put layer upon layer and level upon level over and over again until you're the vessel and the pure and spotless bride that he's after. And he'll keep doing it, not because he's chastening you, but because you are the potter, or you are the clay and he is the potter. And he's gotta apply moisture and pressure over and over again. And in our prayer set last Monday, our, our, our worship leader kept singing that over and over again. I mean, and, and, all, and she, then she goes, and sometimes he's just got to take the whole lump and just force it all down into like a little pile again. Like he's, he just goes, you know what? I just got to, I guess just got to crush this thing all, all together and just, just put them right down to the base element that they are. I mean, that's just terrifying to the natural eye and the natural ear, but it resonates to the spirit man. Those who are led by the spirit, it resonates. It resonates, amen? This spot in Getty, it's a delightful spot. It's right across from the Dead Sea, one of the lowest places on earth. It's a dry, hot, hot desert. I mean, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing close there's, there's no water anywhere. You can't drink the Dead Sea. And then all of a sudden, out of the desert, there's natural springs and waterfalls. There's actually one name, uh, Mapal David, the waterfall of David. And this is where David goes to hold up after this, I almost got caught in the game of cat and mouse. Let's do the En Gedi video. Anybody see the Ibex? the little goat slash deer ram. See where they're at? Ever hear a scripture talking about making your feet like hind's feet? That's what he's talking about, scampering. So part of the reasons, I'm not a huge fan of props during, during messages, but part of the reasons is that visual right there. They give you context into the psalmist. Gives you context. What's he talking about? Hind's feet. Make my feet. I'm going to walk on high places. What are you talking about? These, these Ibex literally jump. They will jump from ledges. That's you. That's me. You'll be on high places, on high mountains you couldn't have dreamed of with oversight across the land and jump from one ledge to another with no risk because he's made your feet like those little ibex, those little deer. And that's why it's called Ein Gedi. It's the, it's the eye of the goat, those little, there's the, the, that word covers that animal right there, those ibex. We used to really take a lot of pleasure in taking visitors slash tourists to En Gedi, getting them to hike up through there and then let them get in the water, okay? So you're in a desert and it's hot. But what would you say the temp is, like 50s? Yeah, so you get them up there and they're hot and sweaty and you're like, all right, they got their bathing suits on. You're like, just jump in that little pool right there, you know, and they just go for it. <laughs> and it's just pure pins and needles, you know. Of course, us as the kids, we already knew that. But uh, 
I mean, that was just, that was a, you know, Saturday trip with mom and dad. Hey, you know, let's go down to Dead Sea. Let's go to Angeti, you know. Let's hang out where David, in those regions, those caves, it's one of those caves where he took a slice off of the king's garment. It's right there in that region. It's a physical place that exists. It's dear to the heart of the God, of God, the Father, and it's got to become dear to ours as well. We're going to move to the third figure, the most prominent figure of covenant in the Bible, Jesus. And he takes the two covenants, these two, as well as others, but we're just focused on these two, and he, he merges them in himself through his blood. What I said before, through his, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and then his, his return. Amen? So we'll look at Mark 14.32. Again, another physical place. It's called Gethsemane. And it says, they went, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to de be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but thy will be done. I mean, this is the Messiah, God, man, who has all the promises from before the foundations of the earth in his being, and he knows what's coming in order to release the promises to mankind, to be reconciled to relationship with the Father. But this is the intensity of what it costs you to reach the promised and covenant land that God has called you to in your life. If he was sitting there and agonizing and weeping and distressed as Jesus, as Yeshua, it really just lifts a burden off of me. It really takes a huge weight off my shoulders. When I have agony, pain, disappointment, discouragement, I'm like, man, it's okay. God's all good with it. He's, he, he understands. He's got me. Amen? So I was there in 2015 or 2019. I was visiting my parents. My brother hadn't been back in, since he graduated high school some 23 years. And uh, we, we visited a few places. And um, I remember going to, there's a church of agony. It's called the Church of Agony. And, uh, and there were, there were people coming, pilgrimage, you know, they were making pilgrimage. Most of them were Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox. And there were stones there that were very old, along with a lot of olive trees. And they were coming, and I mean, it was just watching them. I, stood, I sat at a little pew. They have these little prayer pews. And they're just single, man. They have regular pews as well, but there's these single prayer pews you can just get on. They're just straight wood. And I remember watching these people and seeing how, how passionate they were about just showing up to Jerusalem and just having the opportunity, the privilege to just put their hands on, on a stone where Jesus had walked and wept. It's not that that's the stone that he wept on, but I'm just, and, and the, the Holy Spirit just came over me. I just began to be convicted of the place and the power of the phys, physical land. 
He tread here. He walked here. It's special to him. So we'll do a quick uh, last video on, on Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane, actually, it's, it means the olive press or the pressing of the olive, which is not ironic. Now, I just want you to remember, I gave you bones and death, and then I took you into the desert, and I gave you water and a waterfall. And now you're going to get oil. You're going to get oil now. Jesus was pressed, and the oil had to be pressed out of him in order to make him what God wanted him to be so he could be glorified. Amen? That's good stuff, huh? Are y'all with me? Are y'all tracking with me? Is this, is this, is this kind of getting some visuals, like, just to see? It's, it's incredible. So we're going to land, which is what I hear him say a lot from up here, which just means we're, we're going we're gonna to tie it all up and close it. Um, <clears throat> Why is it important at all that we watch the land, that we're in tune with what's happening there, with what's going on uh, politically, spiritually? When, when I was a child growing up in the land, if one Jewish person came to know Yeshua as the Messiah, it was the talk of the whole body of Christ for three to six months. Oh, did you hear? This is in the 80s. In early 90s, Yossi got saved in Haifa. Yeah, a man named Yossi came to Jesus. He, he was saved. He gave his life to Yeshua. He recognizes Yeshua as the Messiah of Israel. And trust me over there, when that happens, it costs you something. It costs you something. Most of the time, you're going to be ostracized from your family, booted, shunned. It might be hard to find a place to stay. The job you had, the school you went to, the family that celebrated you now scorns you because you have essentially rejected them and they forget very quickly that Yeshua was a Jew. Fast forward, eight, let's just say 82, 40 years that's happening every week. It's happening every week. Every week. Every week, Jews and Arabs in the land are coming to know Yeshua as the Messiah, acknowledging him. So there's that acceleration, but there's also the land itself, right? So let's land, and where we're going to land is in Luke and Romans, okay? Okay. <clears throat> Jesus gives us a little insight, and, and he, my dad used to say, and I used to hear it said a lot as a kid, that Israel is the time clock. As you watch the hours tick by in the nation of Israel, if you're reading it, if you're reading the signs, your heart will know a little bit more about what's going on prophetically. You can extract some secrets, some mysteries, amen? So in uh, Luke 21, 24, it says they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then in Romans eleven twenty five, it says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in its heart until a few number, until the full numbers of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. 
So the, the time he's speaking about, the desolation of Jerusalem is 70 AD, right? Rome was just simply fed up and tired of Jewish insurrection and rebellion. And they just decided we're sacking the city. It's said of Josephus the historian that non-combatants, approximately 1.1 million died in the area of Jerusalem. The slaughter, there's also comments that blood flowed in the streets as high as the ankles and legs of the horses, okay? They sacked the city, they burned it, and since that time, until a time recently, 1967, it was trampled by Gentiles. And we're talking a lot of different Gentiles, including Crusaders, the Ottomans, obviously the Romans, uh, Arabians, and, and you could go on and on. I mean, there's, they trampled Jerusalem underfoot. And Israel was given the mandate by the UN in late 47, early 48, but they did not have all of Jerusalem. Do y'all know that? There was a green line. They did not have the whole territory. It wasn't until 67, the war of 67, where they took back, and there's a video recording, I don't have it, but it's, it's the soldiers that are in the war, and one of them was actually, uh, which prime minister was it that was involved in that? Do you remember, Dad? There, one, it, it might have been Bibi, I'm not sure, but it could have been Bibi. But there, there, was, there was soldiers, there's, there's audio recording of the soldiers talking when they break through to the Kotel, which is the Western Wall, that famous picture of part of the Second Temple, the lower stones of the Second Temple. And you can hear the soldiers going back and forth. Obviously, it's all in Hebrew, but I've heard it many times. And the soldiers that are like firing and bombs going off and grenades, they're breaking through to the Kotel. They're breaking through to the second temple, that lower wall that's still part. And they're crying. These soldiers are crying and rejoicing. Oh, we see it. We see it. And they get there. And that's the moment in history where the time of the fullness of the Gentiles is coming into completion. Now, I'm not big on, on defining dates and times because that's God's job, not mine. And if I look at the Bible and the lens of history, he is not in a hurry. He is not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry in my life, I know that. He wasn't in a hurry in a lot of these lives. I can tell you that right now. And, and if we're of one spirit and one accord, you can probably attest to the fact that he's not that much in a hurry in your life either. He's concerned with you. He loves you more than anybody. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's the kotel. The, video, the audio recording of them breaking through and getting to that spot right there. Those, those bigger, lower, these lower stones right here are part of Herodian temple, okay, temple two. This is basically the holiest site in Judaism. Under here, many sacred scrolls, very old scrolls are kept. I mean, I've visited here many times. I've been in there. My, have y'all gone down below, Dad? My parents have been in the tunnels down below where many of the temple tools have already been fashioned and created for temple worship. Y'all know that? That's, that's kind of exciting, right? Uh, ashes of the red heifer. The red heifer lineage has been traced back. The Levites, which are the levies, the Kohanim, which are the priests, those lines have already been uh, adjudicated and recognized by the Jewish people so that if there is any weakening, any opening to establish a third temple, trust me, the Jews are ready. 
especially the ultra-Orthodox and religious, they're ready. And believe it or not, though they don't fight in the military, they have a ton of political clout in the nation. And if that opportunity arises, they'll be so happy to press the political leaders to act. And then they have the once a year, do they still have the march once a year? With the, uh, yeah, they, they do a, a kind of ceremonial march every year where they, they have a, a cornerstone, but obviously they have nowhere to place it. And, and they march to Stephen's Gate. And, and the, the whole point is, is, is that unlocks to us the knowledge that the ending, which is the return of Messiah, is near. It's near. Look at the acceleration that I mentioned of salvations of the house of Israel. But that scripture, and in, this is verse 26 of Romans 11, and in this way all of Israel will be saved. I mean, my dad has a saying, and I love it. He says, Israel, even if the Lord only took a tithe of the nation, there's about six and a half, seven million Jews in Israel. How many is that? 650,000? If 12 or 30 or 70 tore the world upside down 2,000 years ago, can you imagine what 650,000 Messianic Jews would do to this planet? I mean, can you imagine? Because I can tell you right now, the zeal that Semitic cultures have when they come to recognize Yeshua as the Messiah is a burning. It's a light. It's a light. It's a burning. You, when you pray for fire in your bones, that's what you're praying for, to look like the disciples, to look like the apostles, to look like Jesus, who burned with zeal for the house of the Lord. Amen? I mean, that's what I'm praying for when I ask for that. That's what I'm seeking, to look and sound like those guys, to operate in the power and anointing of Yeshua. I mean, we read the commission and we're like, yeah, I'm just so inadequate. And you are, but you have examples you have forerunners and you are forbearers to carry this into the world and light it on fire. Your sphere, your influence, your neighborhood, your job, your marketplace. My wife reminded me recently, because between the refinishing and the backflow testing, I have walked in this metroplex and been probably on more locations than many people in this city. My backflow testing is once a year annually for the customer, and we have thousands of customers a year. I drive by every day, and I go, son, I work there, and I work there, and I work there, and I work there, and I work there. In every city, from Sherman to Burleson, to Waxahachie, to, to Tyler, Texas, to Weatherford, to Gainesville, and she goes, Israel, you've walked this metroplex. You've already planted by the authority of your feet the seeds. All you have to do is begin to gather in what the Lord has already set before you because we know the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If you're married and you're grateful for an amazing wife, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because only the wife has that voice to sometimes speak. <laughs> Slap you upside the head, you know, with a, with a, a word, you know, like you're just, man, that's man, right? I always tell my wife, I'd live under a bridge if it was, if I wasn't married. I'd be, men would be content with the, under a bridge. That's a fact. We shower at the gym. We have McDonald's. We got a tent. It's exciting. There's weather. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we pretty much have all we need. 
But then a wife comes along and just makes things beautiful. Goes, no, 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 no. You need a home. It's not good for you to be by yourself. And she's got curves. And she's beautiful. And she smells good. And she has a voice. This is the romance. This is you, the bride. You've got curves. You smell good. You look good. You're beautiful. You're a beautiful people. The people of Upper Room are beautiful. This house is beautiful. I'm all in, folks. I'm all in. I've been at Frisco since it opened three something years ago. Remember the Easter? Mike Miller preached four sermons for, for, and the prayer before it? I'm all in. This is where I've sunk my life. Monday morning, tomorrow morning, my wife and I will be right here, you know? 8 a.m. It's an invitation. But I'm all in. Because you're a beautiful people. Because this, when I came here, I've been to church for 10 years that if I said the name, you'd absolutely know. And I loved it and I received a lot. But I kept hearing tongues and the movement of the Holy Spirit was somewhere in the back room. And I opened all the doors in the back rooms and I still couldn't find it. But then I started coming here. And one of her good friends back there, Sarah, the first service I'm here, I'm sitting right about there. And she just turns around and goes, I have a word for you. And she's about yay big and about this, this thing. Am I wrong? And she just wallops me because of his presence in a physical, tangible place is important. His covenant and connection with physical locations is important. Physical locations and people, revolutions, levels, foundation, wrecking you, rebuilding you, wrecking you, rebuilding you. And every time, you look a little different. Every time. Amen? I say we've landed. We've landed. I appreciate your time, your attention, and you being open to the Spirit of God. It's an honor and a pleasure to stand before you and minister the word and the gospel. And, and I told you at the beginning, I love talking about God's nature. His nature is magnificent. He's the holy one, uncreated. So I'm just gonna pray over you and we're gonna close. My prayer for you is gonna be that you would be awakened to a deeper romance that God is having with a physical location, the land of Israel, a small sliver of land in the Middle East, and the Jewish people, which he called his own, which will be the culmination of our journey. When he takes them in and saves the house of Israel, trust me, if you're alive to see it, you're gonna see an amazing event in that nation. Amazing. So that's my prayer. I'm going to pray for you that, that, you're, that you'd be pricked tonight, that there would be some seeds. It may not even happen now because a lot of us, we live out of this on the day-to-day. -day. But he's in the business of connecting our hearts to physical places and people. And when, his, when the germination happens and the fertilization happens in here, this will always overpower this eventually if God has his way, because he's a God of the heart. He's about heart connection, and he wants to capture the images of our hearts. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people, a precious people, Lord, 
bought, set apart, Lord God. I thank you for everyone that's sitting here tonight, God, that you would awaken them to the importance of the Jewish people and the land of Israel, that they would pray for it, that they would study about it, that they would support it, that they would support ministries that are involved with it, God, that you would awaken them to a deeper revelation and understanding in the word, that they would begin to look at pictures and images and scriptures throughout the Old and New Testament, and they would look at through the lens of Yeshua, which is the highest, highest scholar, Lord. And they would see you rightly because they're looking through the Jewish man, the Jewish roots, the roots of our faith, God. And there would be an affection and a romance that maybe hasn't been there before, or maybe it's been a little dull, or maybe there've been more questions than answers. Lord God, I pray that you would answer the cries of the hearts of your people in Upper Room, Frisco, Dallas, Denver, and India. You would answer the cries of your people, which is to know you more, to walk more closely, to be more holy, to walk in righteousness, joy, and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.